0: الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباد الله الذين اصطفى اللهم بنا من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ومن آياته أن خلق لكم من أنفسكم أزواجاً لتسكنوا إليها وجعل بينكم مودة ورحمة إن في ذلك لآيات لقوم يتفكرون سُبْحَانَ أَمَّا الْمُرْسَلِينَ وَالْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالِمِينَ عَلَىٰ مُحَمَّدٍ مُحَمَّدٍ Alhamdulillah, we are here to discuss a very important topic in the Deen of Islam which is marriage in our Deen. First, I want to Tell you what I will not be talking about, so that I can begin talking about what I want to talk about. I will not be talking about the legal rules, ahkam of nikah. I will not be talking about the masaili shar'i, the specific, detailed laws of nikah. So this not a fiqh workshop. I'm not going to talk about meher. I'm not going to talk about divorce. I'm not going to be talking about khula. I won't be talking about Ila, I won't be talking of idda. I won't be talking about any of these things. That is why, in fact, later on, when we came up with another title, the title was selected, Saving Our Marriage. I say it's not about how legally to get married, it's about spiritually how to be happily married. So, it should be clear that I won't be talking about any of those legalistic aspects nor taking any questions on any such legal aspects in these two days. Sayyidina Rasulullah said in hadith, La Rahbaniyat fil Islam. That there is no monasticism means no celibacy in the deen of Islam. So, the first thing we have to understand what is the role of marriage in our deen. Our deen is unique in that way that in Ardeen getting married is part of a person's spirituality. Being married is not against their taqwa and their kurba, unlike Christianity, unlike Hinduism, the two other largest religions in the world. In Christianity and Hinduism, marriage is viewed as an impediment on your spirituality. To reach the highest level in the Christian faith, whether it's a monk or a priest or a bishop or a cardinal or a pope, you have to be celibate, you have to be unmarried, and similarly for a woman, she has to be a nun, she has to be unmarried. And the same thing in Hinduism, for a man to reach the highest level of their concept of spirituality, he has to be a yogi, a guru, means he has to be unmarried. It is our deen of Islam, where Allah SWT said in the Quran, ma nisa, that you should make nikah, you should marry, it's part of your deen, it's part of Qur'an, it's part of the will and wish of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you should marry those women who are pleasing and appealing to you. So, means nikah is part and parcel of our deen. This is why Sayyidina Rasulullah ﷺ said, min sunnati. That nikah is from my sunnah. And another hadith he said, Man an Sunnati That that person who turns away from my sunnah, I will not consider him of mine. If I start commenting on the hadith, we will end up in a whole other topic, separate from this workshop. But simply speaking, it means, nikah is natural in our deen. Nikah is part and parcel of Qur'an al-Kareem. Nikah is part of the teachings of Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So to be married is to be Muslim. To be married is to be mu'min. And that's why Sayyidina Rasulullah <laughs> said, iman. literally, nikah is half of iman. The muhaddithin commented, it means, that nikah is the completion of a person's iman. It means a person's iman is not completed and perfected unless they have nikah. And Sayyidina Rasulullah <laughs> also mentioned in the hadith, that there are four things that are the sunnah the Sunnah of all of the Anbiya Number one, Haya, modesty Number two, ithr the use of fragrance Number three, miswak, the use of a device to clean your teeth And number four, Nikah So here the Muhaddithin mention there are one or two Anbiya who are not married Most famous of which is Sayyidina Isa So the answer the Muhaddithin give based on another riwayah is that when Sayyidina Isa returns to this world, he will get married and who will he get married to, a woman from the Ummat al-Mustafa sallallahu alayhi wa So he will become a Muslim husband, even say Isa alayhi And perhaps, perhaps nothing less befitted his status than being a Muslim husband. So then in this initial first life that he came, he was not married. Because unless you can become a Muslim husband, Better for you than to adopt Zuhd. Better for you to be unmarried. Perhaps some muhaddatin say this is a nuqta or this is the reason why Sayyidina Ismail, Ismail was not married. So Allah said in Qur'an وَلَكَدْ أَرْسَلْنَا رَسُولًا مِّنْ قَبْلِكَ وَجَعَلْنَا لَهُمْ That we have sent anbiya, prophets and messengers before you Prophet ﷺ and we had made for them, uh, made for each and every one of them spouses and children. So from this Ayah, and from that Hadith we learn it is Sunnah of all of the Anbiya who are the greatest of creation, Insan who are the greatest of Insan, the Anbiya so means the greatest level of human being which are the Prophets all of them were married so it means in our deen that we should get married why? another reason is that there is an alternative to marriage there is another way and that in our deen is called zina. That in our deen is called zina. Allah Akbar and the prohibition of zina and the punishment of zina in this world and the punishment of zina in the akhirah. All of that makes it clear that being unmarried is unnatural. Being unmarried is undesirable. Being unmarried puts you in a state of temptation and if you fall into that sin and temptation then you will end up in this grave sin called zina. So very briefly, what is the difference between zina and nikah? The difference is simply that in zina there is no responsibility, there are no roles, there are no rights, there are no duties, there is no real love, there is no loyalty, there is no fidelity, there is no chastity, there is no modesty, there is no sukuud, there is no tranquility, there is no mercy, no compassion, no kindness all of the wonders and blessings and barakat Allah Ta'ala has put inside nikah, you will not even be able to find a single one of them inside dinah. And even so many physical illnesses associated with people who perpetuate this sin recklessly and shamelessly. So means Allah Ta'ala wants in our deen that we should have a proper nikah. So first we will discuss some ayat of Qur'an al-Kareem, where Allah SWT talks about nikah. First ayat is the one we already recited. From amongst the signs of Allah SWT is that He made from your own selves and spouses. What does that mean that you will marry from the fellow human race, and you will have spouses? Azwaj means pairs, spouses, mates, partners. It's from the sign of Allah SWT. And look what in, that in itself is such a strong way for Allah SWT to describe it. Not just that marriage is permissible. Not just that it's preferable. Not even just that it is ideal. Which it is ideal. It is more than even ideal. It is from the sign of the manifestations of the existence and might and power of Allah Taala. What does that mean? That if a person is married, a married couple should exist on this earth as ayatullah. As ayatullah as a sign of Allah on earth. And if when people look at them they don't see the beauty and existence of Allah, then they are betraying this ayah. This is the level of which marriage is conceived of in Islam. That the married couple is a sign of Allah on Allah Kamilla. And first reason Allah gave in this ayah لِتَسْكُنُوا إِلَيْهَا Right? ileha. How is that going to happen? Well, the first thing that happens is, before I even move to that, is nikah. That the marriage has to take place in the name of Allah with the will of Allah Taala, according to the laws and the pleasure of Allah Taala. the details of which I won't mention, but it's important to know that nikah is regulated by sharia. There are ahkam, there are laws that regulate it. There are conditions, there are methods, there are ways to do it, and when a person does nikah in all of those ways, then they will become married. What should be their niya in this amal of nikah? So the niya and intention in nikah is of ibadah, of ibadah. It's an act of worshiping Allah subhanahu wa taala. Niya of nikah should be rida to attain the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa taala. Niya of nikah should be to do to, to complete my iman. Niya amnika Nikah should be to stay away from sin, by fulfilling the natural desire in a lawful way, lest I end up succumbing and giving into it in an unlawful way. Niya amnika Nikah should be than every other aspect that we are going to do in the next few days. All of the things for those who are unmarried, or those who are already married but may- maybe never consciously made this niya an intention, so in a lump sum, another niyah of nikah is another way to, for me to follow all of the hidayah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and sayyidina rasulullah sallallahu wa and those hidayat those guidance and guidelines is what we're going to be doing in the next couple of days and lastly another ni- ni- reason in nikah can be for children to propagate children to propagate your lineage to have a family this is also something that sayyidina rasulullah sallallahu uh, prays that he would love those members of his ummah who bring to him larger families on the Day of Judgment. I will comment about this later, that this does not give open license to the husband to do undue injustice to the wife, right? But this is the will and wish of the Prophet ﷺ. And you can see even in Quran the, cream, the stories of other Anbiya, Sayyidina alayhi salam, how much he wanted a child, the dua he made for a child. So the wish for children is a prophetic wish. The love for children, the love of Sayyidina Yaqub for Sayyidina Yusuf, love for children is a prophetic love. So, whatever are the emotions and feelings and the anbiya and mursaleen that Allah Ta'ala has mentioned in Quran al-Kareem, all of those feelings are a sunnah for us. So, that means another intention in marriage is to desire having children, to desire to upbring children, to desire love of children, to desire the happiness and joy that comes from having children. All of this can also be a niyyah of nikah. Now let us return to this ayah. First thing Allah SWT said is, لتسكنوا إليها. لتسكنوا إليها. So that a person may get sukoon. What does this mean? What this means that maybe you can understand this in one sentence, the whole theme of these two days, is in our deen, it's not enough to be married. You have to be happily married. All of the virtues and merits and benefits and fada'il that we've mentioned up to now about nikah, it's not just, it's not going to be attained by being married in name, or marrying in letter, or being married in the court, or being married under Islamic law, or being married under legal law. All of this refers to the true marriage. The nikah that the deen of Islam celebrates is the one who is truly, happily married. It's not enough to be just married. Now, how to make the transition from just married to truly happily married? Let me also explain, if you don't make that transition, if you are unhappily married, if you are unhappily married, then you will fall into all the same sins and pitfalls of the unmarried. If you are unhappily married, unhappily married, you will fall into the same sins of the unmarried, and in our deen, this is even incredibly worse of a sin. All of you know that the punishment for zina for the person who is unmarried is 100 lashes. And the punishment for zina for the person who is married, and means he must have been, or she must have been, unhappily married if she decided or he decided to do zina outside of marriage. So what was the punishment for that? Is stoning by death, is rajab. So, do you see, the sin for the person who is unhappily married is much, much more than the sin for the person who is unmarried. So, that means we shouldn't think that, no, I'm married now, I'm home free, I'm safe. No, I'm married now, I'm in danger. Now, I'm in danger that what if I become unhappily married, I will be in more devastation than if I had been unmarried. Stoning to death, Allahu Akbar kabirah. Even that, I don't have time to talk about that. That could be a whole other lecture. What that means and what that teaches us about the azmat and might and majesty and power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It shows you, if nothing else, one thing we can illustrate how much Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala values this bond of nikah, How much Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala demands absolute fidelity and loyalty from that man and woman who chose to take his name and make one another halal in his name. If they betray that bond, they betray him. When they betray their spouse, they betray him. And therefore, one of the very, very few areas of Islamic criminal law, where he himself revealed the punishment, this is known as hudud. And this is the punishment of stoning to death. So what does it mean if we're unhappily married? You can think that we are already starting to stone ourselves spiritually to death. We are pelting our ruh with stones. And we're in danger that one day our physical body may even be pelted by stones. It means we have to be very, very conscientious about being married. Alright, so first, then in this ayah of Qur'an al-Karim, لِتَسْكُنُوا إِلَيْهَا First thing is that you attain Sukoon. Now, what does that mean? Sukoon, people think that Sukoon just means I shouldn't have stress and tension and high blood pressure. No, this is the way a non-believer thinks that Sukoon, what he will call peace and contentment, that's what they think. This is a very preliminary definition. The mu'min knows that no. In other words, the unbeliever thinks that sukun means I will never have any worries. No worries. The mu'min knows that no, Allah Ta'ala has put me in this world, this is darul imtihan, darul ibtila, I will be tested, I will be tried, there will be difficulties, there will be worries. Sukoon doesn't mean that I never have a difficulty in my life, Sukun means something else altogether. Sometimes I will be healthy, sometimes sick, sometimes happy, sometimes sad, sometimes successful, sometimes failing, at whatever it is I'm trying to do. No, so sukoon in our deen doesn't mean that it will always be like that. Sukoon means that no matter what happens, no matter what difficulty, trial and test and tribulation comes, a person's batin, a person's kalb, a person's spiritual heart remains in a state of sukoon. They remain content with Allah taala. They remain content with deen. They remain content on sharia. This is called an nasul mutma'inna. They're mutmin on deen. Even if something happened in their life that was against their plan, against their strategy, against their wish, they were faced with a difficulty. That will happen. But inside in their calm, they remain on a state of sukun. So, they ilayha means that the spouse, each and every one will get sukun from one another. What does it mean the husband will get succumbed by being married to the wife and the wife will be get succumbed by being married to the husband? What does it mean that if a person is married happily in Deen, then they will be able to bear the difficulties and tests and trials that Allah will definitely send them in this world? And if they're not happily married in Deen, then what's going to happen is those tests and trials and difficulties will make them react and take it out on one another in this world. So the very first thing Allah Ta'ala mentioned in this ayah لِتَسْكُنُوا ilayha." What does that mean? That the purpose of nikah is the caring and sharing with one another. You will see, for example, if somebody loses something in this world, but if they have something else that is precious, they don't feel bad. For example, let's say you, I don't know, you lose your watch, but you have a nicer watch at home, so you don't feel bad. Because yes, you lost something, but you have something better. Let's say you lost some money, but you have more money somewhere else, so you don't feel bad. So the tuskunu eleha meant that the husband and wife are so fulfilling to one another. It means literally that the husband could lose every single thing in this world, but having his wife would be enough obstacle cool for him. The wife can lose every single thing in this world, but having her husband would be enough sukoon for her. All of her sukun in terms of dunya lies in this relationship of husband and wife. It's much, much more than the regular concept if we say the English word, to be worry free or to be content. It's sukun. Then Allah wa ta'ala <coughs> Mentioned another word, waja'ala bainakum mawadda. Mawadda is a special type of love. Mahabba means love. Wudda and mawadda means affectionate love. You can, that's the closest thing we can come up with this in English. It's affection, affectionate love. It is referring to both physical and emotional intimacy, it's referring to that unique type of love. You see, Allah Ta'ala has put different types of love in this world. Parent and children and friend and friend and ummati and their Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and umm and their Rabb subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. This is a different type of love. The love that is placed between azwaj, that is called muwaddah. That means a affectionate love. What does that mean? So the husband and wife, they love one another just for who the other person is. First, now they've already loved one another for the sake of Allah Now, Mawadda means they genuinely love the other person for who the other person is. That's also part of the concept of Nikah in Islam. So, they give care to one another, they support one another, they make effort with one another, they help out one another, they take interest in one another. All of this is called Mawadda. That's why some people say in English, they say love is directly proportional to investment. What does it mean? So, your marriage is like an investment account. Your returns will be based on how much you put in. And this is called making an emotional investment. This muwadda is an emotional investment, an investment of affection into that marriage. So, simply speaking, then what does it mean that it's not supposed to be a dry marriage? We say it a it's not supposed to be a dry, unemotional, uncaring, unaffectionate relationship. It's not supposed to be that we're married in name and name alone. It's supposed to be an affair of the hearts. Another way this word has been used in Arabic, just so we understand what Wanda is, has been used for the love that a mother has for her child. What does that mean? That doting affection, that loving affection, that caring affection, that attending to the needs, that endless love that all of us know that mothers are famous for even forget human mothers, even in the animal kingdom, the mother, the love the mother elephant has for the baby elephant, the love that the mother has for her cubs, the mother has for his kids, even that is legendary amongst people who study animals. And then infinitely more than is the love that a human mother has for her human children, so that is a way for you to understand the meaning of Mawadda. How much does a mother invest into her children? That's what Allah subhanahu is saying. And where does this Mawadda come from? lest a person think that I don't feel it. <مَوَدَّة> Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed between you مَوَدَّ This is the barakah of nikah. It's a person who is on taqwa and on deen will receive this from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And a person who is staying away from taqwa and deen, a person who is sinning against Allahul Azim, a person who is leaving the sunnah of Nabiya karim sallallahu wa wasallam, Allah ta'ala will send it, but they will not accept it. They will refuse the signal. They will reject the signal. You tell me that affection that Allah Ta'ala has put in someone, can any force on earth take it out? So if we don't feel that muwaddah for one another, it means that we have not done we have done something but due to which we were not able to receive that transmission from Allah Ta'ala. So this is another word that Allah Subhanahu wa used in this ayah. This is called muwaddah. Then the next word Allah S.W.T. said is Rahmah rahma wa Rahmatan rahma means mercy Yes, this is that Allah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim Who sent down Qur'an and described Sayyidina Rasulullah as Rahmatan alameen. Allah Ta'ala using the same word to describe how we are supposed to be spouses with one another and where again has that Rahmah come? This <laughs> is <It says>, Allah's Allah, Allah Taala has placed that Rahmah between the two spouses, a mercy between the two. They must have wada for one another. They must have rachma for one another. Part of that mercy. What does mercy mean? So when we talk about Allah mercy, what does it mean? That He is going to overlook our shortcomings. He is going to forgive our sins. He is going to be happy with us anyway. He is going to accept us on the day of judgment anyway. He is going to reward us with Jannah anyway. Sayyidina Rasulullah said that nobody will be able to enter Jannah except by the Rahma, the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sahaba Karam, asked the Prophet and you, Ya Rasulullah. And he said, Nam, he said, and me also I will only go to Jannah due to the Rahmah of Allah ta'ala Allah Bakma. So that's what Rahmah means. So what does it mean that those place rahmah between us? What does it mean? That the husband and wife will overlook the faults and flaws of one another. They will remain on this sukoon and remain on this muwadda despite the mistakes and shortcomings of one another. Now, how many of us have this level of rahmah with our spouse? Everyone wants the other one to be their ideal. He wants her dream, his dream girl. He wants his dream I don't know they say that, dream boy whatever they say, right? Not willing to, are we the dream abd of Allah (laughs) SWT? Do you think you're the dream ummati of Sayyidina Rasulullah Do you think you're the dream legacy of Sayyidina Abu Bakr as Siddiq with Allah SWT? But we want jannah? Oh, all of us want jannah for those? So we want Allah SWT's rahmah but we're not willing to have rahmah with one another. Just in just even one ayah you could just do the whole today's on this ayah. Mabandatum wa rahma rahma rahma. Now imagine that being who is al-Rahman al-Rahim, if he places Rahma between two people, how could they be unhappily married? How could it be possible that they could be unhappily married? The only reason any Muslim is unhappily married is because we abandon the teachings of Qur'an and and Nabiya Alaihi Wasallam. It's that simple. It's impossible to say, no, I have this. I'm according to Qur'an and I'm unhappy. Impossible for anything in life. Whether it's nikah or anything else. But we leave Qur'an al-Karim. You will leave. You'll be miserable on earth. Miserable. And to be honest with you. I'm not a person who gives marriage workshops, it's not my area, it's not really my interest, it's not even my passion, right? I'm doing this out of dire necessity. I'm here out of dire necessity and compulsion because we've seen that so many religious or striving to be religious mu'mineen are so devastatingly unhappily married. That the other things we want to teach people, we can't even begin to do that because they have all of these devastating problems in their marriage. And I say to you with all honesty, not as a first-time comer to your country, but somebody who's been visiting quite frequently for the last two years, that the UK Muslim, UK Muslim community, Allahu Akbar Allah Al-Aman, Al-Hafidh, the level of marriage problems that exist in this community, I have not seen it in any of the other 20 or 30 countries I've been to. And compared to America, you are light years, not even leap years, light years ahead in the devastational marriages that you have. And there's somebody who knows what's going on over there also and has come to know in two years what's going on over here. So I am sitting here out of absolute need and necessity. Otherwise, even some of the things we have to teach you in this course are too embarrassing for me normally to have to say. But the level of sinister and devastating problems—I'm even—I don't even want to say the level of religiosity I've seen in people, and at the same time the level of betrayal. Allahu Akbar. It's a very serious problem, serious problem. And because our old ulama and mashayikh have spent so much time on this subject. I felt it was now incumbent upon us to present their teachings to you so that perhaps somebody may be able to benefit. Right? So that is my niyyah, to share that with you, that why it is that I myself am here. So this rahmah means to forgive. One, two aspects of Allah's mercy that are being indicated here. To forgive a person when they don't deserve to be forgiven. That is called rahmah. That mercy to forgive someone when they don't deserve to be forgiven. You tell me if you miss Fajr and you say Astaghfirullah once. Does that deserve you to be forgiven? When all your deen tells you you have to pray. Nabiya Karim told you how to pray. Allah Ta'ala said in Quran over 700 times of Aqimu The Muazzin is calling out Hayal As-Salah. Do you think that should be enough? Should that get you off the hook? You do not deserve to be forgiven. Rahma refers to that mercy that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives when a person is not worthy of being forgiven. So that's what Allah is saying in Quran. Husband and wife are supposed to be so merciful towards one another that they can forgive one another even if the other one doesn't deserve to be forgiven. Second aspect of Allah Ta'ala's mercy, Rahmah, which is also being indicated here in the word Rahmah, is to forgive someone without asking or expecting anything in return. Selfless mercy. Not selfish mercy. Selfless mercy. Allah Ta'ala forgives us and He doesn't ask for anything in return. What are you going to give to Allah Ta'ala in return for Jannah? Hmm? Let's say Allah's mercy comes on someone and he goes into Jannah. What are you going to offer in return to Allah ta'ala? Nothing. We have nothing to offer. Hmm? So it means the husband and wife are merciful with one another. They forgive one another even if at times the other one's not deserving of that forgiveness. And they forgive one another selflessly without any expectations and demands for anything in return. So This is what Allah subhanahu ta'ala is saying in Qur'an. مَوَدَّةٌ وَرَحْمَةٌ And Allah subhanahu has placed affectionate love between you وَرَحْمَةً And Allah subhanahu has placed a mercy between you And then again Allah ta'ala The way He said in the beginning this is the ayah Again Allah ta'ala ended the verse of Quran by saying إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ يتفكرون. That indeed in this there are signs Signs for such a people who يتفكرون, who can reflect on these signs. Who can reflect upon Quran. Who can reflect upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what does it mean? I'll give you one example of this rahmah. So the husband should think. That okay when this woman came to me. She hardly knew me. Maybe she didn't know me at all. Or maybe she knew me through a very limited Sharia-compliant interaction through her relatives. But who I really was, she didn't know. And you can even think like this, that what my sins were, she had no idea. She had no idea what she was getting into. Even I presented my best features to her father. I did not list my sins and shortcomings. But the day she started living with me, within just a few days, she knew everything about me. She saw all of my sins, my weaknesses, my flaws, my hypocrisies, my oversleeping, my overeating, my anger. She saw it all. And she still stuck with me. She still stayed. She should have actually gone home after three days. She should have read for the hills. But she stayed back. And she gave her time and investment in this relationship. So now that, okay, fine, that we have grown older, and now she's the mother of two, three, four, five of my children. And maybe she's lost some of that original beauty and youth that she had. And now I'm 35, 40, 45 years old. Now it's time for me to overlook. It's not time for me to cast my lustful gaze at every young colleague and young associate that I have. Or every young or attractive woman that I encounter on the bus on the street. And get neglectful of my wife and lose my heart's affection for my wife when she showed so many years and decades of affection and loyalty to me. So, Rahma and Mawanda, Mawanda and Rahma is that the husband will value her later on in life. So, this is the the husband should think. And similarly, the wife should think in the same way. And she should think that my husband, when he married me, he also didn't know what he was getting into. My mom showed the very best picture of me to his mother. And actually, I don't even really look like that. That was some special wide-angle lens with some special light on some special day. Hmhood. No. Or that he didn't know any of my faults and my shortcomings and my sins and my bad habits. right? But then he married me, and he for so many years, he took care of me. He earned for me. He spent on me. He earned for my children. He spent on my children. So now, if as he's getting older, he becomes a bit sensitive, he has a bit of a temperament, right? Or even older, he becomes a bit bitter or a bit senile. Well, now I have to be patient with him. I have to have continue my affectionate love for him. I have to keep my mercy and my forgiveness of him. So this Mawadda and Rahma, if you want to combine the two, simply speaking in English, it means to value one another. To value, to continue to value, to keep valuing, and to never stop valuing one another. That What enables a person to do that if they have mawadda and rahmah, if they have these two master feelings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in Quran? So, sukuun means then that not only, like we said, that the husband and wife are a source of sukuun, they forget all the other worries, but it also means that they are worry-free for one another the husband should not be a source of worry for the wife and the wife should not be a source of worry for the husband now we can think that how different we are in the homes today we find nothing other than worry disappoint, disappointment betrayal disloyalty frustration angst anger negative thinking skepticism second guessing fighting Divorcing. This is the state, uh, that many Muslim couples have found them in. So this was the first ayah that I wanted to mention from Quran al-Kareem. Because in the first session, what we want to do is lay out from the very beginning few ayat from Quran al-Kareem and through hadith from Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Second ayah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Quran al-Kareem. <coughs> <laughs> that your wives they are like a garment, they are like a clothing for you, and that addressing the wives, your husbands are like a garment for you. So the word here that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has used is libas. So so far we have sukun, mawadda. Rahma, then, And now moving to another ayah, the word that comes here is libas. What does it mean they're like a libas, like a garment, like a raiment, like a clothing for you? So the Mufassirun have mentioned several aspects of this. Number one, is that what is the purpose of physical clothing? This is what we call never. what is the tashbih? Why is Allah Ta'ala used a metaphor or allegory or simile of clothing what is the nisbat what is the relationship between libas and nikal? So what is this relationship? Number one, that clothing libas is something that covers our physical body, that covers our nakedness. So what does that mean? It covers what we call in Arabic our satr. So the Mufasrian said that Allah Ta'ala uses this word libas because the husband hides the faults of the wife, and the wife is supposed to hide the faults of the husband. One of Allah Ta'ala's attributes is as satab He is the one who conceals and veils the faults of us. Right? If anybody views any one of us as praiseworthy, it's actually they're praising Allah Ta'ala's attribute of hiding our flaws and sins from one another. So, libas means that the husband and wife are supposed to cover and conceal their flaws and faults. Second, is that libas is a protection. We wear clothing as a form of protection. Against the cold, against the elements, against the rain, right? Clothing is a type of protective apparel. So, Allah Ta'ala using this word libas for nikah means the husband is a protection for his wife and the wife is a protection for her husband. This could mean many things. Husband is protection for his wife in the sense that he gives her financial support and physical taking care. Wife can be protection from the husband. And that she fulfills his needs and protects him from falling into sin. So, the husband and wife are a source of protection from one another. Third, is that when a person wears libas, they are covering their haya. Every person has this level of haya. Even a man would die of shame if he was told to strip naked in front of someone in office. Right? So, libas protects our modesty, our chastity. So by the husband and wife being libas from one another, it means they are protecting their haya, their modesty. Now, the wife is the means through which the husband attains haya, and the husband is the means through which the wife attains haya. And Sayyidina Rasulullah ﷺ said, Al-haya'u iman. Al-haya'u shu'matu minu iman. Imam Bukhari Mullah Ta'ala gathered a whole chapter in the sahih on the chapter considering the hadith about haya being a branch of iman. It means, again, they're the source of one another's imam. Fourth is that libas is a source of honor and dignity for a person. When you are well clothed, you feel honorable, presentable, dignified. So, it means the husband and wife are a source of izzah, a source of karam, a source of honor and grace and dignity for one another. Fifth reason is that another fifth tashbiyah, Is that another reason we wear libas is zinat, is beauty. That the person who, who is clothed is more beautiful. It is a way of being adorned with beauty. So Allah is saying in Quran that the husband is a means of the beauty for the wife, the wife is the means of the beauty for the husband. What does it mean? That the married husband is beautiful in the eyes of Allah Ta'ala? By taking the garment of his wife, he has adopted a zenith in front of Allah And the married wife is a beautiful woman in front of Allah s.w.t. Because by being married to her husband, her husband is a zenith for her. And the seventh thing is qurb. That clothing is the thing that is the most physically close to our body. There is nothing closer to us Nothing aqtrab to us, to our physical self, than the physical garments that we wear. So by using this term libaz, Allah was saying in the Qur'an, that the aqtrab ta'luk, the closest relation that you have, is your spouse. Just like you keep your clothing close to your physical body, just like that the husband and wife should be so close and so attached to another, that the closest and deepest relationship in their heart is that of their spouse. So this is the understanding from Qur'an al Kareem of nikah, of this concept of libas. Then Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in hadith said that and I wanted to clarify this hadith that Sayyidina Rasulullah ﷺ said that Allah Sallallahu wa made uh, Umm al-Nas, Umm al-Insan, Sayyidatina hawa wa from the rib of Sayyidina Adam A.S. Right? And the Prophet ﷺ said that she is made from the rib. Now many people say it's a Christian concept. That the rib is crooked and therefore the woman must be crooked. No. I've in one rib I say that she is made from the rib and therefore she is, you should be delicate with her lest she snap. Right? Lest she snaps. So one reason this resemblance was given which is the delicate nature of a woman. And then the Muhaddithin commented on this further, linking to this to the Labas, is that the rib is in our chest. So Allah didn't create woman from the skull, because Allah didn't want the man that he should make her his master, nor did he create the woman from his feet, because he didn't want the man to make the woman her slave. He created the woman from the rib of man because he wanted the man to make the woman his heart companion. His best companion. So this is why Allah created women from the rib of men. Then Sayyidina Rasulullah in Hadith. Now let's talk about one thing. some things related to the women. There will be times when we will shift back and forth and some things will be related to the women whereas other things will be related to the men and then many things will be related to both. Now here what is going on? So, let me tell you the intention you should not have. Most time, the problem is that what the men do is they listen very intently to the part related to the women. And they even during the semester, women, did you hear that one? Did you catch that one? And when they go home, the only thing they take away is they try to become my assistant teacher. And they want to teach their wife everything that I taught them. No, I want you to be my assistant teacher, but I want you to teach yourself what I taught you. (laughs) So, the men should listen to the part most intently that's pertaining to them. And same thing with the women. They should listen to the part that is most pertaining to them. If each and every one of us can make ourselves ideal, then you would be amazed how quickly you will find your ideal in the other one. Alright, so what did Sayyidina Rasulullah say about the ideal woman? First, Sayyidina Rasulullah in a hadith in Bukhari mentioned that there are four reasons why a person normally chooses a bride. Her wealth, her family, any yani lineage, her nasab, her lineage and family, her beauty and her taqwa. And Sayyidina Rasulullah said to his Sahaba that you should choose a woman on the basis of her taqwa. So what does that mean? The ideal wife is the one who has the ideal taqwa. The ideal wife is the one who has the most taqwa. This, both men and women should listen to. A woman, if she wants to really get barakah in her marriage, it's not just about trying to augment her beauty artificially. Rather, it's about augmenting and increasing her taqwa spiritually. A husband, if he wants to know what wife is really the best for him, he should not be looking just at skin-deep, superficial beauty. He should be looking at spiritual beauty, that is taqwa, that man who can learn to be attracted to taqwa, that man will be able to lower his gaze. And that man who is attracted to complexion, he will never be able to lower his gaze. That man who can learn how to be attracted to taqwa, if his wife is muttaqi, a taqiyya, naqiya pious woman, then he will always be attracted to her. So this is what it means, Sayyidina Susam was teaching, both sides. The woman should have taqwa and the man should love taqwa. And obviously, the converse is true. The man should also have taqwa and the woman should love taqwa. If she wants the most intelligent, dynamic husband, she wants the richest, wealthiest husband, she wants the most eloquent husband, she wants the most accomplished husband. No. If that is your criteria, you will never be fulfilled by your husband. But if your criteria is taqwa and your husband has taqwa, you will be fulfilled. Inna akramukum indallahi اللَّهِ Allah Ta'ala said in Qur'an that indeed the most honored of you and Allah Ta'ala is regarded as the one who has the most taqwa. So we have to view everything on this earth in the way that Allah Ta'ala wants us to view it, the way Allah Ta'ala views it. So the master attribute for the ideal spouse is the same master attribute for the ideal Muslim that is called taqwa. Second, Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was once sitting with his Sahaba Quran. And he asked them, male Sahaba, that who is the best woman. And so different Sahaba were giving different answers. And then Sayyidina Ali was also sitting there. But then he had to go home. When he went home, his daughter or his wife was the beloved daughter of Sayyidina Rasulullah. Sayyidina Fatima. And she asked Sayyidina Ali, and she, this was her habit, that you just came from my father the Prophet, what did you talk about? So he said that the Muslim asked us a question, that who is the best woman? she gave her answer, she gave her reply, she said that the best woman is the one who lowers her gaze, neither does she look at any non-mahram, nor does she, nor does she ever give the opportunity to a non-mahram to look at her. The best woman, Sayyidatina Fatimah, who Sayyidina Rasulullah S. S. said is Sayyidatina Nisa'i Ahlul Jannah, she is the leader of the women of Jannah. She said, the best woman is that woman who lowers her gaze. The best woman is the woman who best lowers her gaze. Neither does she look at a non-mahram. Now, she explained what she meant. What does it mean to best lower your gaze? Neither does she look at a non-mahram, nor does she give them the opportunity to look at her. So then, when Sayyidina Sallallahu next went to the Prophet he told the Apostle Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, when I went home, I shared with Fatima Radhan your question, and this is the reply that she gave to your question that who is the best woman. So this is that incident when Sayyidina Rasulullah he saw some, expressed his love for her and he said that Fatima is just a piece of my heart. Allah has Means that she gave the correct answer. This means that this is what a man should love in his wife. You know how many Muslim men are actually married to women who have this attribute. And I'm telling you I honestly, you know, I went to honestly from the outset. I will be tougher on you than I am on them. It's not because I'm trying to become popular amongst the women. I have no interest in doing that. I'm doing it because of my very real experience of years dealing with people. My years of experience has led me to conclude irrefutably that the majority of the problems in marriage are due to the flaws in the men. Majority. Not 95% majority. I would say two-thirds are due to the problem in the man and one-third is due to the problem in the woman. So many men have a wife like this. It's amazing. MashaAllah, Allah Ta'ala has still preserved the hayah of many mu'minat. Can you imagine what is more disgraceful in the eyes of Allah Ta'ala, a mu'min man who is married to a Mu'mina woman, and that Mu'mina woman, she has Haya, and his wife has Haya, but the man fails to have Haya. Can you imagine how twisted and demented the logic is of this man, that then he tries to argue in his defense, that the reason I don't have Haya is because my wife has Haya? Yes? I don't even want to explain to you what this means. This is what they say. The reason I don't have Haya is because my wife has Haya. La hawla wa la illa billah. Right? Who told you to be wild and racy? Who told you to follow what this society is teaching you? How dare you present that as a justification and excuse? Do you think that wild and racy temperament and behavior and desires is something that's acceptable? Something that we will honor, we will take into consideration? How can you even present? You present your Behaya and you present her haya, and you say that's the problem. Al-Aman, la wa la Illa, Billah. Can you think of anything so disgraceful? But I'm amazed the men say it, and they think that they're completely justified. They don't even say it with any sadness, with any remorse, with any shame. Shameless. Shameless. allah So actually you should love the wife who is like this. You have to follow the life that Sayyidina Rasulullah wanted us to live. We're not here, no, we're not here to be who I am. You cannot present your tabiat, your temperament, your mizaj, that this is the way I am. And who are you? You are nothing. The way you are is nothing in front of Allah. You have to be who you, Allah wants you to be. Yes, at the same time, we will mention later that sometimes. Things become unreasonable and sometimes reasonable um, needs are not met reasonably. And then, yes, then the husband can be justified in such cases like that. But to present a standard and to try and want your wife to live up to a standard of foulness, just because you live in a society that is foul, there can be nothing more disgraceful than that. So who is the best woman, Sayyidina Rasulullah? Because when Sayyidina Rasulullah approved of the answer, this is what we call a hadith. Even though it's the words of Sayyidina that the it's still a hadith that the best woman is the one who best lowers her gaze. Neither does she look at the non-mahram, nor does she give them the opportunity to look at her. All right. Another hadith Sayyidina Rasulullah mentioned the qualities of a pious wife. First three or four qualities of a pious wife. Number one is that she is obedient. What does this obedience mean? Alright? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in Quran Al Awamuna nisa That men are the caretakers over women. And this is Allah, Allah appointing this. So this is also a very important thing. That this attribute of obedience we must understand from this ayah and this hadith. What is the realm and nature of that obedience? You see, for example, I'll give you a very good example, you'll understand. Allah Ta'ala said in Qur'an, وَأَتِيُوا اللَّهِ That you should, وَأَتِيُوا how You should obey Allah And the Prophet s.a.w. And, وَأُوذُوا الْأَمْرِ مِنْكُمْ And those who are in authority over you. Now, this can mean many things, but let's say one if you meant originally, the head of the Islamic State, now because Allah Ta'ala in Qur'an has told average mu'mineen to obey a pious ruler of a good Islamic state, that does not give him license to be a dictator. That is not in any way giving him license to be a tyrant. That is not at all what's being said. So if Sayyidina Rasulullah said in Hadith that a wife is supposed to be obedient to her husband, there was a certain realm to that obedience. It's not in any way giving license to a husband to be a tyrant or dictator. That's not what it means. Okay, at the same time, so what does it mean? So this ayah, makes it clear that in terms of the household management, in terms of family affairs, Allah SWT has made the husband the manager, has made the husband the emir. You will see in any office, in the corporate world, if there's a manager, that office functions smoothly, if all of the members of the office defer to the role of the manager, but the manager himself fulfills his managerial role in the best interest of the company and the employees. So for us, the company means the Sharia and Sunnah, the company means the Deen of Allah and the employee, so to speak, or the who under the management of the man is the woman and the children. But he's supposed to govern the affairs of the household, According to the will and wish and pleasure of Allah, and to the best of His ability, again go back to that example, that would be a whole separate topic. But if you look at the hadith where Sayyidina Rasulullah talks about rulers and governors, that they are supposed to govern in the best interest of their people, and all of you know the legendary stories of Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab, or Sayyidina Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, and what is the key feature that everybody always praises, right? How Sayyidina Umar used to walk around the streets of Medina. How he was so inquiring after his people. He wasn't iron fist rule. It was compassionate, kind rule. Right? So you have to be an Amir over your wife and children. The way Sayyidina Umar Awl and Sayyidina Umar Asani were over their people. That's what it means. That's what it means. Just like the subjects will love the loving king. Just like the Sahaba loved the Khalifa Sayyidina Umar bin Just like the Tabaita Amin loved Sayyidina Umar bin ad They would not want anything other than to be under his rule. That's what the wife should say. That my husband is such a kind, compassionate, generous, just manager of the household that I would never want any to be under anything other than his own management. That's what it means that the husband is the Amir of the household. But, the barakah also will only be when the husband takes that leadership role. If you abandon that leadership role, you abdicate that leadership role, for the sake of pleasing your wife, you will lose the barakah. You must be in the role that Allah Ta'ala has appointed you in. You must be in that role. And if a woman says to her husband, that no, my decisions are better, or I'm more educated, or I'm more intelligent, or I have a higher IQ, Or whatever she tries to say, no. All of this is foolish. All of this is folly. Yes, Allah may have given you many abilities and many capabilities, but you want to have barakah in your home. The barakah is going to come when the husband is the amir, when the husband is the manager of the home. That will put barakah in it. If he uh, conducts those affairs according to the teachings of I'll give you an example from the Sahaba because when you read some stories of Sahaba one learn a lot. There was a Sahaba, and his wife's name was Ramla. Sahaba whose wife's name was Ramla. Ramla, she was the daughter of Sayyidina Zubair radiallahu anhu. Means she was the sister of Sayyidina Abdullah bin Zubair radiallahu anhu, very famous sahaba. And Sayyidina Asma bint Abi Bakr, she was the daughter of Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhu. So, it means that Ramla uh, was the daughter of Sayyidina Asma radiallahu anhu. And she was the granddaughter of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu So the husband Khalid, Sayyidina Khalid wa and Sayyidina Ramla bin they were living a good life together. But what happened one day that Sayyidina Khalid was at home with his brother-in-law, his wife's brother, Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Zubair. And they were both talking to one another. And then what happened was that Khalid and Zubair wa l they had a little bit of an argument with each other. A bit of an argument with another. So, now Ramla was caught, one is her brother and one is her husband, right? Sayyidina Khalid ibn is her husband and Sayyidina Abdul ibn Zubair is her brother. And in front of her, the husband and the brother had an argument. Okay. So, when she had that argument, then Sayyidina Abdul ibn Zubair, uh, when he left, when the brother left the home, So, Sayyidina Khalid, he told her, that Did you see that your husband and your brother were arguing and why did you remain silent? You should have taken my side. That's what he said to his wife. Then, when me and your brother were arguing, why did you remain silent? You should have taken my side. What's your problem? So Sayyidina al-Raml she responded, she said that we are women, and Allah Ta'ala has made us like a flower. And the purpose of the flower is that the husband can enjoy the sweet fragrance of the flower. It is not my job to get involved in arguments. So then when she said this, And Sayyidina Khalid, her husband, he got up and he walked over to her and he kissed her forehead and he forgot all of his anger. Means she said such a beautiful reply. She didn't intervene. She didn't interfere. She didn't try to govern. She didn't give her views. She didn't give her analysis. She didn't give her arguments. She said a sentence. That is not an argument, not an analysis. But she said a sentence which had barakah in it. She had said a sentence that, okay, if they are not fulfilling their roles with each other, that brother-in-laws should be good to one another. If they left their role, it happens sometimes you have a slight argument between people, but I should not leave my role. And if I remain steadfast in my role, the barakah of that will take care of their laps in their role. And that's exactly what happened, right? So it means that the job of the woman is not to govern her husband, it's to win over the heart and the love of her husband, and to be the virtuous, noble, respectful partner of her husband. Okay. So this covers An-Rijallah al-Nisa. Another eye, next eye of Quran al-Kareem, Allah said in Quran, Wa Wa What does that mean? Here Allah SWT is saying in Quran, Addressing the husbands. Same Allah Ta'ala who said you a qawbam. Same Allah Ta'ala in same Quran says, Wa bil Ma'roof That you should keep them and live with them in a manner of living or in a lifestyle, which is ma'roof. Now ma'roof literally, lexically means according to urf, what is known, what is customary. But ma'roof means what is in the noble and most virtuous of ways you should live with them in that way that is known to be the way of nobility and virtue so you see allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not given unrestrained and unconditional license to the man allah wa ta'ala is saying and the mufassirun classical male mufassirun have written here under this ayah, that allah wa ta'ala is pleading on behalf of the wife to the husband allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the wakil of the wife to the husband Oh husband, you should be careful and conscientious of this ayah, lest you face Allah Ta'ala on the day of judgment, and then He asked you that I pleaded on behalf of the women in Quran, I told you, wa'ashiroo hunna bil ma'roof, and you didn't treat them bil ma'roof in the virtuous and noble way. How much more can Allah Ta'ala convince a woman also? That yes, I'm placing you under his care. I'm saying he is qawam over you. But look, I've also told him in Qur'an that he should keep you bil maruf. I have pleaded your case with your husband in Qur'an al This is Surah Nisar, Surah 4, verse number 19. Fa'ashiruhunna bil maruf. So this is yet another ayah where Allah SWT makes it clear. So in one of these days, Allah SWT said that you should take care of your wife. You should take care of your wife What does take care of one's wife mean? Right? It's not just financial. It's not just financial hukuk. It's not a monetary, capitalistic relationship. Take care means, what in English we say care. Caregiving. Even in your health service industry, they call it the primary caregiver. Hmm? So the husband is the primary caregiver to the wife. It's much more than just money. Right? Much more than just money. That husband who does that, definitely he will find his wife to be obedient, loving, and loyal, and supportive to him. Definitely that ruler who treats his subjects well will find their subjects to be willing to do anything for him. Right? This is the relationship that is meant in the sense of this authority. Okay, so the first quality in that hadith was obedience. That Said Sayyidina Rasulullah mentioned in the hadith, the four qualities of an obedient wife. The first, uh, four qualities of a virtuous wife. The first one was obedience. Second quality that is mentioned in this hadith is that she is pleasing to her husband. Now, what does pleasing to her husband mean? This means, yes, it also means uh, physically. It means that the woman should be a source of Pleasure, contentment, coolness of the eyes to the husband. Alright. This means now addressing the women. That a woman must always keep herself presentable and neat and tidy. She must try to maintain herself as attractive as is reasonable on a daily basis to her husband. We have ended up taking this to extremes. What happens is that when a woman initially gets married... Especially in South Asian culture. So her parents and in-laws give her some of the most expensive clothing known to men. With some of the most expensive jewelry known to men. And she wears a different set of clothing and jewelry every day for the first 5, 10, 15, 20 days. That is one extreme. And then later on in life she wants to walk around in sweatpants and sweatshirt or whatever equivalent of that is. So that is another extreme. So, yes, certainly, if a woman is doing household work or some work that requires her to sometimes get dirty or messy, she can wear work type clothes. But when she knows that this is the time for my husband to come home, so she must view still, every evening is like an engagement with her husband. Every evening is a date with her husband. Every evening is a night with her husband. She should be, make herself presentable and well-dressed to her husband. Not extremely formal or fancy attire, but at the same time not extremely bland household wear. And yes, if she knows that my husband is working in a co-ed society, whether it's the university, whether it's the hospital, whether it's the corporate office, whether it's the shop, because you have female customers who come into the shop also, wherever, almost, almost, in la almost every man who is working unless he is blessed to be one of the ulama who fathers spend their day and nights in the masjid and maqtab and 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 Darulubu, unless he is one of those rare few who have some other job like that, they will always be surrounded by women. Always. So the woman now, if you are a wife in this type of society, you also have to realize that. Right? And to this reasonable level, because Sayyidina Rasulullah said that she should be pleasing to him. What does that mean? It means pleasing fragrance, it means pleasing clothing, it means pleasing appearance. That's the first aspect. Second is emotionally pleasing, it means a welcoming demeanor, a pleasing demeanor. That's why Sayyidina Rasulullah SAW said that when the husband returns home, the wife should leave whatever she is doing and go and greet him at the door, receive and greet him at the door. As opposed to today, the husband turns the key, walks in the house, she's still up. she's upstairs, it makes no difference there, she's still doing, it. and he says, hey you, and she says, hey, you're back, right? But well, that's it. And she still keeps doing what she's doing. No, the husband should feel, yes. Now I know that some women may think that, you know, why do we have to treat him like a king? Yes, he is your king. If you treat him like he is your king, he will treat you like you are his queen. Yes? Yeah. Simple recipe. Believe me, if you treat him like he is your king, he will treat you like you are his queen. Because the woman who is married to king, that is called queen. Oh, this is your country. The British monarchy, right? There's something Americans can't understand. You can understand this. Hmm? So what does it mean? Your king has arrived, madam. And you should stop what you're doing. And you should go receive the king at the door. And you should show him that his arrival is a momentous occasion to you, is a source of joy and happiness to you. It's such a thing that you were waiting in anticipation for, that whatever it was you were doing, you can leave that and you want to be with him. It's a very simple thing. It's not so difficult to do. Don't you see in the corporate world when they want to give someone VIP treatment, they stick somebody at the airport. It's called meet and greet. The person should feel when they arrive that there's somebody there to receive them. And they arrival. Hmm? Even they understand this. That this is izzah, this is affection, this is showing color. So the woman should be like that with the men. Right? So this is the second way, emotionally pleasing. She should make herself in demeanor, her temperament, her mannerism, her speech, her expression, her smile. She should make herself emotionally pleasing to her husband. Third, Sayyidina Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam third aspect of a pious wife is that she fulfills the word of her husband, or you can say she fulfills the promises and pledges taken by her husband. This may be in the case the husband has promised something and she has and he may not be able to do it or may be absent. She should fulfill his pledges and promises in his absence. And the fourth thing that Pasan mentioned in the Sid is that she protects his wealth and honor. By protect his wealth means that she spends properly. He should not get a shock when he sees the monthly or oh, debit card bill. He should not get a shock when he opens the drawer where the cash was and finds almost all of it gone. She protects his wealth. She spends it wisely. She spends it with his mushawara, with his consultation, with his permission. And she protects his honor. The Muppet Mohandasin have mentioned many aspects to this. First of all, it means that protect his honor means she guards her own modesty and chastity in his absence. Second meaning, protects his honor is that she... Mm, uh, is, is is interrelates with him in such a way that he never needs to violate his honor uh, outside the marriage bond, right? So these are the qualities of a pious wife. So what does it mean again that the woman should try to be like this, and the man should make this his ideal criteria? We should leave our own man-made criteria. And we should accept the Allah-made criteria. When we accept the Allah-made criteria for ourselves and the other, then we will be able to have barakah in our marriage. Okay. Then, qualities of a good husband. Then we will take a break. Qualities of a good husband. So, what qualities did Sayyidina Rasulullah look at? So, one way the Muhaddesin do this is they say that who did Sayyidina Rasulullah his choose to be his son-in-laws? and Who did he marry his noble daughters off to? That gives us an idea of what are the qualities of the ideal husband. Because like any father, Sayyidina Rasulullah would want to find the most ideal husband possible for his daughter. But Sayyidina Rasulullah was a special father because he had Sahaba Ikram to choose from. So, who did he choose? Two examples First example is Sayyidina Ali That son-in-law Of his beloved daughter Sayyidina Fatima So what are some of the qualities Of Sayyidina Ali That means that the quality of the ideal husband Number one is that Sayyidina Ali had a heart of gold Heart of gold Compassion, charity Mercy, affection Soft, gentle Heart of gold. So, if the husband wants to be ideal, he must have the same compassion for humanity, the same charity for humanity, the same generosity, the same kindness and gentleness that Sayyidina Ali had. Second, is the example of Sayyidina Uthman Sayyidina Uthman had some special qualities also. Sayyidina Ali had many qualities that would be whole separate workshop, right? Uh, But the one that the Muhajassin have mentioned that his sifat as a husband is that he had a heart of gold. Sayyidina Uthman also had many, many qualities. But one of his qualities was that he had a lot of wisdom and honor in terms of the way he used to treat people, the way he used to deal with people, the way he used to manage people. In English, you could say he had a dignified air about him. He had a professional, dignified, wisdom, noble way of dealing with people. And that's why so many people were so fond of him. And he was such a successful tradesman and businessman due to this characteristic. So this is another ideal that we would want to see in a husband. And then Sayyidina Rasulullah said specifically about Sayyidina Uthman, which is perhaps why I should have mentioned first his master attribute. It is his Hayat. Yes, his master attribute, legendary attribute. If you want to talk about legendary Haya, if you want to look at Anbiya, you talk about the Haya of Sayyidina Yusuf Salam. Obviously, Imam Al-Anbiya is the greatest in every attribute, right? That's understood that Sayyidina Rasulullah is the greatest in every attribute. If you want to look further, to get more examples, because Allah Taala has us to look further, to look at all Anbiya, all Sahaba, you will think and see the Haya of Sayyidina Yusuf salam, Or then second, you will find the Haya of Sayyidina Uthman anhu. So much Haya that Sayyidina Rasulullah said that Sayyidina Uthman has so much Haya that the angels even have Haya in front of him. That's an ideal husband. That's the type of person Sayyidina Rasulullah selected for two of his daughters. Two. Double Yes. Zul Nurayn, the scholars of Tarikh the one who got two lights from the Prophet Sallallahu What was his master attribute, his Haya? So much so, once Sayyidina As-Susim was sitting and part of his shin was exposed, and Sayyidina Uthman, he heard the Sayyidina Uthman, he covered his shin, and then the Sayyidina Uthman left, so the Sahaba asked, then why did you cover your shin? Because you weren't covering it for the others. He said, that, how can I not have haya in front of that person in front of whom the angels have hayah? Allahu Akbar Kabira. Can you imagine the level of haya of Sayyidina Uthman So this is part of being an ideal husband. Don't think ideal husband means I'm the earner, the breadwinner, and I have the rights. Ideal husband means to have the haya of Sayyidina Usman radiallahu anhu. That sahaba who the Prophet selected to be the husband of two of his daughters. Allahu akhmatullah. Third way from Hadith we can get at who is the ideal husband. Sayyidina Rasulullah said, خَيْرُكُمْ oh, لَأَهْلِهِ uh, Sorry. The best of you is the one who is خَيْرُكُمْ uh, لَأَهْلِهِ is the one who is best to his ahl. وَأَنَا خَيْرُكُمْ ahli, And I am the best of all of you to my family. So the best of you in Allah Ta'ala's regard is the one who is the best of you to his family. And I am the best to his family. So what does it mean? Who is the best person in the eyes of Allah wa Ta'ala? One who is the best husband. That shows how important being a good husband is for a man's spirituality. The best man in the eyes of Allah is that man who is the best husband to his wife. How many of us say we have that certificate? Hmm? How many of our wives would privately say about us that he is the best husband to me? Allah Akbar Kabiram. Once a woman came to Sayyidina Rasulullah and female sahabiya and she complained about her husband. And she complained about her husband and he said that he's always arguing with me over trivial issues. And then he even struck me. Maybe you can say like one slap, right? He even struck me. So Sayyidina Rasulullah he called that sahaba. And he told him, shame on you. Allah hukman. He told him, shame on you. You are abused your wife and you struck her and then you continue to want to be intimate with her. Don't you have any shame? Means that you, she is giving you her love and affection. And at the same time, you are giving your anger and wrath upon her. Which means that this is not the ideal husband. Now, Sahaba were trained by the Prophet Sometimes when we get a glimpse to that training process, you should never have any doubt about the outcome. All of Sahaba Ikram, by the time Sayyidina Rasulullah passed away from this earth, all Sahaba Ikram, their was complete. But sometimes we got a glimpse into the process, so we could learn from that. This Sahabi also, radiyallahu ta'ala anhu, his tazkih was completed in this sense by this hadith, They were such people that Sayyidina al would just say one sentence to them and they would change completely. That you cannot see here, the transformational effect and change that the Siddhis brought about on that sahabah. But we learn that what type of changes we have to have. What type of changes we have to have. So now we conclude the first session. And we gave you an introduction. The overview of the main ayat in Qur'an about marriage. Some main ahadith from the Sunnah about marriage. And gradually we are going to move into more and more practical things. So, inshallah, we let you go for a short break.